Hi there. Thanks for stopping by. My name is Josh, and this is Dharma Punks New York. Welcome. If you'd like to support my work, everything I do is offered entirely by donation, and I don't charge for any of the counseling or the teaching, so it's entirely up to you. And uh, the Venmo is Dharma Punks with an XNYC, and the PayPal button is on the website and on the podcast page, and there's a Patreon for those of you who would like to support my work that way, and that's as well under Dharma Punks NYC. So thanks for that. So tonight, how to resolve emotional experiences from the past that continuously intrude into our current lives. Evolution provided us with multiple ways to respond to changes and challenges in our world. That's what feelings are for. They are responses to either real or anticipated events in the world that could affect our survival, either positively or negatively. And when the situation is something that we can deal with, we focus attention on it. We use our massive frontal lobes, especially the left dorsolateral, to problem solve the issue. Or we might ask for help and advice from others. And all of this is courtesy of our frontal lobes. And they involve top-down inhibiting so that we can just deal with issues. But there are threatening, painful, overwhelming, or sometimes even positive situations that result in our frontal lobes being overwhelmed and regions involved are on the one hand you've got the amygdala and the periaqueductal gray that activates your hypothalamus which controls your endocrine system and so we release adrenaline and norepinephrine and cortisol and then we also have our hippocampus which when overwhelmed uh, through the lateral septum, deactivates GABA, vasopressin, and oxytocin, and all that. The most important thing to remember is that it shifts us from a state of calm, or what we could call homeostasis, to either up into heightened mobilization, which is known as fight-flight. So we go from calm uh, collected, socially engaged, problem-solving, up to this heightened, anxious state of, I have to do something, and most of the time that's fight or flight, or we go down into an immobilization state where we're just completely overwhelmed, and we go into a state of one, fawn, so we just say or imply with someone or some situation just to hope to survive, or we freeze. So we go out of these states in the middle uh, where we're calm, and we either shoot up into the sympathetic mobilization, fight, flight, or we go down into parasympathetic immobilization, which is we fawn, say anything we can to placate, or we freeze. So, for example, if you're being yelled at by someone you don't need to maintain a relationship with, they're a stranger, they're somebody you don't really care about, and you don't really think they're going to physically attack you, but you want them to get out of your face and it's overwhelming, you might, out of anger, shout, push someone back to get space. And that would be an example of mobilization. On the other hand, if you're facing a danger you can't survive, you would experience fear, which would compel you to run, to get away, to protect yourself. Oh, that's pretty clear. When it works, when we do survive and we follow these impulses that allow us to, that have been installed by evolution, then what we hopefully do is we find safety and then we allow the impulses to release and subside. So we shake it off, we tremble, we cry, we pant until the emotion go goes away and we wind up back in a state of calm. If we can't do it on our own, we might 
find other people and just, you know, get a hug or sit with someone and talk about the horrible experience and they, their empathetic glances will return us to a state of homeostasis. And so if you got to take anything away from this first part, it's that we have these, most of the time we're functioning in a state of homeostasis where we're just dealing with our stuff, but sometimes there's challenging interpersonal situations or sudden noises or sounds that require fast survival actions. Those survival actions can be up into fight or flight or down into fawn or freeze. And uh, when all works well, we get out of the situation, we shake it off, and we find others to help return us to calm. It's really important to note that we have to, after a negative experience, return to a state of calm. And this is because when you go back into a state of homeostasis, your hippocampus, which is the part of your brain that organizes memories, can uh, create memories that are not intrusive in the future, memories that you can recall voluntarily. And these memories, when you recall them, they won't feel overwhelming, they won't be vivid, and you'll know when you recall these memories in the future that they're not happening anymore, that they were events from the past. And I'm going to contrast that with emotionally charged memories in a second. But the only thing to remember is that to really resolve an experience, we have to let the emotions or the, the survival impulses be acted upon. We have to release them when we have to get our nervous system back to calm. But there are situations where we this process is disrupted if we're being mistreated by someone we need to maintain a relationship with, like we're a child and our parents are rageful or angry or emotionally uh, overwhelming in their anxiety in our face, or if it's a boss that we, re we rely on for our, our job and our livelihood who's emotionally dysregulated and overbearing, or if it's a romantic partner that suddenly, uh, when we're caught, we're caught off guard, uh, becomes extremely harsh and critical, or an authority figure, policemen who suddenly decide to hassle completely uh, um, innocent people, or teachers from school who uh, become intrusive, then what happens in us is an immobilization state of fawning, placating, where we have to suppress either our anger or our fear and just stand there and say or do anything it takes to um, placate, to, to, to agree to anything to get the authority figure out of our, our face. And in these situations, very often, they, there's no resolution because we just go on with our life. The authority figure and the fact that we're in a uh, interaction with someone that we have to maintain a relationship with makes it impossible for us to, to realize that we've been deeply triggered and that our nervous system needs to be restored to calm. So any situation where there's fawning can, over time, if it happens enough, can turn into unresolved emotions. Another situation is conditions where natural mobilization reacts, survival reactions are impossible. You're speaking in front of a large group or you're in a classroom and suddenly kids or other people, you know, laugh at you or you make a mistake in public and you're suddenly embarrassed and you freeze and you're so overwhelmed by the social pressures that you're tongue-tied, you can't say anything. And again, these situations often result, any freeze state can result in a lack of resolution where we 
go back to a state of calm with memories that can be filed away in a way that doesn't become intrusive in the future. Life-threatening events or accidents are times where our hippocampus is overwhelmed and we can't have uh, memories that are filed away as events in the past. Uh, Times when we're intoxicated, if you're drunk or under the influence of drugs, when an overwhelming or emotional experience happens, of course, in those states, you won't be able to create um, what we would call explicit, useful memories. And chronic environmental failures in childhood, absent, emotionally distant, neglectful parents, parents with personality disorders, and so forth, which, of course, can wind up with with individuals with complex PTSD. So after these emotional events where we fail to get to a place that's safe, discharge the, the impulses, return our nervous systems to calm, and then process it with other people, the stress and the dysregulation impairs hippocampal function and it affects in the future how these memories will be stored. The amygdala will wire the memories and they'll become stored in our unconscious where they'll become uh, memories that we can't control or recall at will. They'll become intrusive and they'll become very vivid when they're recalled. We'll feel in the future like we're back in a traumatic or painful situation, overwhelmed. It'll feel as if the threat is happening when it's recalled in the future. It'll feel like we're back in the threatening situation. So the key with emotionally implicit uh, memories from unresolved situations is that they we can't control when they're activated, when they become intrusive. Um, we they're very they're very strong, and they make it feel like we're in that any time in the future when memories being recalled, no matter how safe we are, um, it'll feel like we're endangered. So these emotionally triggered memories are what they store together is some random sensory images of the first painful experience, like someone shouting at you or a car about to crash or a parent's uh, judgmental face or a boss furious or uh, a friend rolling their eyes. So there'll be some kind of image or sound. And along with these uh, impressions, there'll be survival impulses, shivering, shaking, anger, fear, uh, fawning of dissociation. So What's linked together in your unconscious is images from the original event and the feelings and impulses you experienced. So anytime in the future you encounter a sensation that's like the original uh, unresolved event, like for instance, you were a child and a father at times who was very kind but suddenly would become filled with rage or a mother or a sibling would just become out of the blue, scary. The looks on their face or the time of day or um, the room that you were in or the context, any of those things could be stored uh, with fear or anger or a, a need to placate. And so in the future, anyone that reminds you of that, original parent or or threatening person maybe their facial expression maybe you wind up in a restaurant that looks like the original place maybe some music is playing in the background that was playing in the original 
wounding experience. So it'll you'll be activated. You'll be triggered. Um, movies, when they depict emotional activation, show it visually. Like so, a, a soldier in a war who has had a tra- trauma when they're back home in the movie, they'll it'll you'll see it as if they're back in a war and they'll be back under combat. And it looks like to them, it's being depicted as if they feel like they're back in the war. But most emotionally wounding, unresolved experiences from the past, when they intrude, they don't re- intrude as images. They don't intrude as sounds. They simply intrude as feelings and impulses. So if you were, you know, constantly shamed and embarrassed in front of school peers when you were in grade school because you had dyslexia or learning disability or you just struggled with math, and then in the future you're in a social group as an adult and someone asks you to, you know, figure out the tip and you can't and you'll freeze and you'll start to feel in your body, all of the shame and embarrassment that you did in third grade. So you don't consciously, you're aware that it's the present, but emotionally in your body, it feels like you're now in a life or death situation. That's what emotionally unresolved uh, experiences create durable memories that intrude they don't intrude as images they intrude as sudden spikes of fear anger fawning freezing uh shock and so forth so these memories over time can blur together in the unconscious they become compounded because the they're very often stored in by the right amygdala and the right ventral temporal lobe which is a very associative uh wiring structure so over time all of these unpleasant memories start to be uh neurally linked and so uh if one experience of rejection in your present you date someone for a few dates and suddenly they ghost you for no reason you're not just going to feel the pain of some of somebody who's been dating for two weeks and has just gotten ghosted you're gonna feel the emotional grief and embarrassment or shame or loneliness of all those previous experiences in your life associated with abandonment or rejection they're all linked together in the right brain and this is why this kind of disproportionate response that happens due to unresolved events in the past creates a saying in therapy if it's hysterical it's historical anytime in life we have a reaction that's disproportionate fast um overwhelming it's very often survival impulses and emotions flooding into us from past experiences. They're not actually about the present. They're actually about the past. So in those situations, we lose control of our words and uh, we lose control of our, you know, a lot of our socializing. We We can become disinhibited and uh unfortunately uh the to protect ourselves we can develop all of these defenses so that we don't have to experience that we might over time after enough rejections start uh making it impossible for people to get close or intimate with us by having too many demands or being too too critical ourselves or being having uh just a, a, a hypervigilance when we're meeting new people. So these negative emotional events from the past can leave the greatest neural imprints. They can shrink our hippocampus. So over time, it becomes even more difficult to regulate our emotions. Uh, they can enlarge the amygdala, so we become more and more reactive. 
and they can leave what's called enduring working models, internal working models, which are the patterns of who the types of people we seek to attach to. And this is important in our adult lives. Um, if we have a lot of unresolved emotional emotional abandonments, rejections, abuse, um, lack of empathy, then adults will compulsively seek out partners or friends or bosses or roommates that will uncannily with them reproduce the traumas of the past. Uh, Freud called it repetition compulsion. And uh, we, in the therapeutic modalities, call them reenactments. Um, the Buddha uh, had a term for them as well, which I am blocking, but they are also known as unconscious predilections. And so... Um, we have these unconscious tendencies to seek out people that will um, essentially reenact the same wounding events that happened to us in the past, if those emotional events in the past are not resolved. So why do we do this? Why do, if, for example, we grew up with emotionally abandoning uh, parent we wind up in a relationship with somebody who's emotionally abandoned or if why would somebody who was physically abused in their childhood wind up with an abusive partner or why would someone who was um uh forever uh engulfed by an emotionally overbearing or anxious parent choose emotionally engulfing partners well there's a lot of theories perhaps because it's familiar uh, Freud says it's because unconsciously we want to master or correct our childhoods. We want to give our childhoods a happy ending that we didn't have. Um, perhaps some therapist thinks it's because we want to victimize our present partners for the pains of our unresolved childhood traumas. Who knows? It's never been, nobody's ever come up with a, uh, a complete I think it's somewhere in between all of those or depending on the situation. Judith Herman, one of the most important psychologists of the 20th century, said that in her practice, she found these reenactments by people going back to partners who acted the same way or created the same situations as traumatizing figures from the past was almost uncanny. It appeared that people were consciously choosing but in fact it was all involuntary that they were just being magnetically pulled to people who would just reproduce their past with them and even if we don't have it in uh, our main relationships with our romantic partners we can have reenactments in work some people who grow up with alcoholic parents that they had to become so the children had to become caregivers they grew up with these caregiving tendencies and then they'll choose bosses or friends that compulsively need uh that they can become a caregiver with in their adult life because it feels safer not having intimate equal relationships it feels safer for them simply to uh, be in this situation where they are constantly taking care of someone else. So work relationships, you know, there's some people who grew up with emotionally abusive fathers. And then when they are bullied by a policeman, even though that's a generally a hopeless situation, will fight back and, um unfortunately uh wind up uh under arrest because they've been triggered by their childhoods where the only way to survive was to fight back and even if we don't reenact the past in our present lives 
our past can turn and can create defenses that become self-fulfilling prophecies. So for example, someone who in high school or their 20s was traumatically dumped by a partner who cheated on them uh, in the aftermath can develop the defense of being suspicious and jealous and forever mistrusting their partners because they've had that traumatic event. And so when they're in a new, whenever in their new relationships, their suspicion and jealousy stemming as a defense so to protect themselves from the past reoccurring um, will push their partners away and eventually their new partners will cheat on them. So they're creating from their defenses the same exact traumas that happened to them in the past. So I think you get the point that having unresolved emotional events from the past that never were resolved and created memories that were filed away as no longer happening, but instead left these very hot, uh, unconscious predilections that are survival first and um, uh, are disproportionately strong. These are things we want to resolve. So one way, of course, people resolve the past is with a therapist. They go into treatment and whether it's with EMDR or psychodynamic or other forms of, uh, or gestalt or other forms of uh, um, parts work, uh, internal family systems, you name it. There's a lot of great modalities out there. You find a therapist that's empathetic. And as you enact all of your defenses and all the unresolved uh, feelings from the past come up, your therapist sits with you and gives you a corrective emotional experience and helps you become aware that it's not really about them or about the people in your present, but you're actually being triggered by events in your past. And then they keep bringing the attention back to the original events from your earlier life that you shared with them. And over time, you begin to be able to recognize in all of your relationships in the present, when your emotions are not really about present situations, but are about events from your past. And you'll begin to note that because you'll begin to see, oh, my, uh, my therapist pointed out that when I feel completely under attack to stop and to take a step back and to call someone or to um, pretend I was a stranger to the situation and ask myself, am I really endangered here or is this my childhood? So we can, with enough therapy, become cognizant of when our pasts are intruding into our present. Um, Another way that people uh, can resolve some experiences in their past is through by strategizing actions that give some kind of resolution. So a victim of sexual abuse or violence might entail getting justice in the court where other people will validate and will acknowledge the experience. And in so doing, they're in a safe space, be able to talk about what happened, be validated. And then now the memories can be reformatted as um, memories we can recall when we want to, but don't feel present and don't overwhelm us. Sometimes people use rituals to mark a loss or to mark a past part of their past. And in the ritual, they feel some sense of closure. Uh, some people will let go of traumatic relationships or abusive work situations by doing something symbolic to indicate that it's no longer present. And those type of processes can work well. And then, of course, as we know from the work of Bessel van der Kolk and The Body Keeps the Score, that a lot of 
the emotionally wounding events, of course, as we talked about, live on in us as survival impulses in our bodies. Our, our bodies can be forever tense, anticipating rejection or anticipating abuse or anticipating engulfment. We can learn to discharge this emotional trauma and wounds from the past by movement or through yoga or through somatic experiencing. And when it feels very strong, get a towel, turn it and wrap the towel into the size of a neck <laughs> and then just strangle it so that you get the opportunity to you're discharging some of that pent-up anger that you were never allowed to, because as children, we're not allowed to uh, express the anger. So we have to suppress it. And so uh, in a discharge practice, we are just by strangling a towel, we are expressing and, and allowing the energy that's been stuck from all those times we had to either fawn or the times we had to placate and then just bite our tongue or whatever. So <clears throat> body practices are really useful. Journaling, of course, writing it out. Um, so many studies by Pennebaker showed that journaling and everybody says, yeah, 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 I journal. But the, if you look up Pennebaker's writing therapy, it's a, it's a practice that has uh, both some, literally some rules to it, but uh, it's very, very, very sound as a way to process emotionally charged events. And in fact, when you're writing it, you're taking it out of your head, you're forcing your left hemisphere to regulate the emotional pain stored in the right. So it's a very effective practice. There is um, just any kind of expressive art um, can be a way to connect with, understand. So if you draw uh, a, a representation of yourself as a child when you were um, stuck with your mom, and while you're drawing, you get to know that feeling of sadness or disappointment, uh, giving connection. The more you get to know it in your body, the more you'll be able to spot it in the present. Kathy talks about uh, in her essay work, uh, pushing against a wall, to standing against the wall and pushing it back. The way that we're going to be practicing tonight of discharging the past is through mindfulness. The Buddha in the Vedana Samyutta talked about when strong feelings arise from the past. Uh, they're called anusayas. That's what I should have remembered earlier. Those are our when our past is intruding in our present with these sort of strong, I'm under attack, I'm not safe, I have to get out of here, or I have to someone, I have to fight back. These feelings, the Buddha said have to be observed, not abandoned, not acted as if they're not there, but also not necessarily acted out upon first. We need to go someplace and allow the emotional energy to arise, the Buddha said, and then pass, and without taking it personally, and without adding the story, just give the emotion space. So the practice we're going to be doing tonight is... A practice that's come about in the last uh, 20 plus years in Buddhist circles, originally by Michelle McDonald, and it's called RAIN Meditation. And RAIN is an acronym. Um, the R stands for recognize. So we hold an image from our present or an image of something that represents a present experience that's been intrusive, that's been, we've been ruminating upon, that feels unresolved. And we bring our attention to this image and then we feel into our bodies and note the old survival, the old fight, flight, 
fawn, freeze, shock, loneliness from the past, the 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 feelings of rejection, the feelings of of of, of frustration. We feel it in the body and we recognize it. We give it a name. Oh, this is sadness or, oh, this is anger or, oh, this is uh, confusion or, oh, this is loneliness or, oh, whatever. You label it. When we label our emotional states or in our body, it, um, it tames it. We name it to tame it. So just naming. And then A stands for allow. You will, rather than resisting the emotional expression, we welcome it. And we just, we're not necessarily happy about the fact we're feeling sad or frustrated. We simply acknowledge, oh, this is sadness or this is disappointment or this is shock and then we allow it we don't we try to uh soften around the body so that wherever the strongest impulses whether they're in our throat our jaw like we want to scream or our belly and i should have said screaming or yelling is can be when we're alone can be a way to discharge emotional energies but right now in our rain meditation we're just going to find the survival impulse and we're going to allow it to express itself. We're not going to resist it. Um, we're not trying to fight it because fighting it will only just suppress it for a little while and then it will become, it'll return and it'll activate even more uh, discordance in our life. The I in the practice stands for investigate rather than uh, view this experience as something we have to endure just and put up with. We bring a kind of curiosity. So we observe it uh, and we investigate it and we break it down into different parts of our body so it doesn't feel overwhelming. So if you're confronting loneliness or fear about the future, you don't just try to take in the entire gestalt of those states. You find loneliness or fear first in, how does it feel in my belly? And just observe it there. And then in my chest, what does loneliness or fear or anger feel like there? And then in my throat, what does loneliness or anger or fear feel like there? And we just ask, how does this feel? And then the last part, N, is nurture. We try to choose a conscious response to provide love and care to these unresolved emotional experiences. So we ask, what do I really need right now? And it might mean I just need to take it easier. I need to be less harsh with myself. I need to be a little, I need to take more time to rest. It could mean I need to connect with people more. It could mean I need to forgive someone. It could be who knows what. But we're just asking this feeling, what do you need to feel safe? And that's the practice. The practice is instead of running and trying to Addictively, through short-term sensory pleasures, escape the pains and feelings from the past. It's to learn how to recognize how the past feels when it's intruding. To recognize that, oh, this is not really about something that's happening now. This is about something that happened to me in childhood or 30 years ago. To allow the feelings to express themselves, to investigate them, and then to take care of them, to help resolve them, to help turn them into memories that no longer, or at least less often, intrude and interfere with our daily lives. So that's my talk. I hope you liked it or got something from it. And uh, now what we're going to do is we're going to practice a RAIN meditation. So I'd like to encourage you to 
find a really comfortable seated position. Uh, could, you can lie down if you want. You can sit on a couch. You can uh, make yourself comfortable. And don't keep, if you uh, don't want, feel free not to keep the camera on you so that you won't feel self-conscious. You can turn the camera somewhere so that you can just really relax um, and feel very, uh, very at peace, or as much as peace as possible right now. So when you find a really comfortable position, and don't try to look like a Buddhist meditator, just try to find right, what feels like a sustainable uh, position. Just allow your eyes to close and bring your attention into the sensations of your body. And see if you can land on the sensations associated with breathing in and breathing out. So how do you know if you're inhaling or exhaling? Don't let it be vague. See if you can find an actual sensation in your body. Very often I find it first in my belly. The I feel this energy flowing up Words and into my abdomen, so my abdomen, my belly expands, and then with the exhalation, my belly softens. And sometimes I can feel my chest expanding, and then with the exhalation, it's subsiding. So this can be a this can be a very soothing anchor. An anchor is a place you bring your attention to as a place to return to when you get lost in thought. Or if you're working in meditation on feeling something that feels too much, you go back to your anchor. If you don't like working with your breath, no worries. You can simply feel the sensations of your body making contact with a chair, with a couch, with the ground, if you're lying on a yoga mat or wherever. Just feel contact sensations and just allow your body to relax into what's supporting it. Or you can use as your anchor the sounds arising and passing around. You don't have to go off, go out and look for sounds. They'll come to you. And you don't have to, in fact, it's encouraged not to visualize what's creating the sounds. Just allow the sounds to appear and disappear, like the breath appears and disappears. So we'll just practice returning to our anchor, whether it's the breath or contact sensations, or it could be a phrase you repeat in your mind. May all beings be peaceful, happy, free of stress and suffering. Or it could be the sounds surrounding you. So choose an anchor and just whenever a thought intrudes and pulls you away, that's all right. Just use your anchor, return to your anchor as a way to return to safety. It's like a buoy when we get tossed into the sea.
So at this point, I'd like to invite you to bring to mind any recent experience that or person situation any event that's been repeating recurring in your mind and I'd like to note that repeating and recurring Thoughts and images are also a sign that the past is intruding into our present. So find this image of some situation and don't tell the story. Just have some image or word or short phrase that represents this recurring intrusive thought that keeps on replaying, indicating that the past is intruding. If you can't, again, work with images, you don't visualize things in your mind, I then just come up with a phrase. This situation, that person. And just hold the image or repeat the phrase in your mind. And see as you become aware of your body, if there's any emotional response. a feeling of tightness, contraction, a feeling in your body of fear or sudden shaking with anger or any subtle cue that there's an impulse present. And at first people very often struggle to summon the emotion in the body. Very often when we're out in the world being triggered, the emotions and feelings come very easily. But when we practice and invite the emotion that doesn't want to come, that's another cue that it's uh, it's based on past events because we can't rec recall it at will. So just keep trying with different images if you want, try to, on your face, create a expression associated with whatever emotion you feel is, might be present. Anger, frustration, boredom, loneliness, overwhelm, fear. Anger, disappointment, concern. So, whatever you find, no matter how subtle, just allow it. Just allow it without any to soften around it, but allow any slight or great feeling just to be with it. If it feels, feels ever too overwhelming, you can return to your anchor. But most of the time when we don't run from our emotions, when we do activate them, they don't arise in this disproportionate, overwhelming feeling. And then, if you can, become curious. Like a, an astronaut from a distant galaxy who has landed in the human body and has never 
felt this feeling or emotion or affect before, just get curious. What does it feel like? How can I get to know what anger or or disappointment, what's it like in my body? How do I get to recognize it in the future? To see what does it feel like in my belly? What does what does this event that's triggering my past, how does it feel in my belly or my throat or my eyes? The more we can recognize these emotions being activated, these feelings, the more in our future, when we're in difficult situations, we'll be able to know, is this really about, is my anger really about what this person is saying or doing? Or is it about all the infuriating experiences from my past? The way we know is by getting to know the feelings. How does it feel? So, um, lastly, nurture. Once you know how it feels, just ask ourselves, what does this feeling, no matter how subtle, what does it really want? What does it really need? And if at first the needs are something we can't meet, just keep asking until we connect with a need or something we can do to nurture this feeling that is realistic. Some people simply repeat in their mind a metaphrase, I care about this feeling I care about, my suffering. So if asking doesn't yield anything, just repeat in your mind a soothing message of care. And so I'm now going to bring this rain practice to a close, so there'll be time for questions. Thank you for your practice. And if you want to continue with this, not only do I have on the website lots of 
different rain meditations, or at least there have been recordings of them, but there's uh, rain meditations that you can find on other sites, Dharma Seed, Tara Brock, all that. So listen to different teachers, practice it, get to know how to recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture these effectual responses to our present lives. <laughs> 